All right. How's everybody doing? Um, I'm going to talk like this in my sermons from now on because I've heard from somewhere that if you talk in a low and a very clear voice that you, de you demand more authority. And so I heard myself like I heard myself like on the on my podcast recordings and I, my voice is really high. And I was like, man, wh why is my voice so high? And I realized that what I sound like in my head is way different from what you guys hear. Try to kind of lower my voice a little bit. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it'll be very natural. Um, as you can tell, I'm really tanned. I look great, huh? Um, Pastor Mina and I, uh, we went on vacation last week to Phuket. We went with uh, Pastor Christian and uh, Pastor Aaron. Um, it was an amazing trip. Had a lot of fun. Had a lot of good times with uh, Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron. Um, some of my favorite parts is we went jet skiing in a, in a in, in Jeju, if you go to Jeju Island, jet skiing is 60,000 won for five minutes or 10 minutes, right? But over here, it was like, I think it was like 50 bucks for like 45 minutes. And so, and then there's like no, there's no like safety class you got to take. You just give them money, they give you a jet ski and a life vest and say, go. And then we just took off. And like, there's no, like, you could just, we just, we were like, man, no, ain't nobody can stop us. We could literally try to ride this back to Korea, you know? But it was amazing. We had such a good time. Um, we uh, we also went to this place called James Bond Island. It's where James Bond, 1974 James Bond, was filmed. Um, it's like, it was a pretty big tourist attraction. And uh, my, the, my favorite part of the trip was, like, we went, there's all these little excursions and, like, points in throughout the day. At one point, they, they dropped us off on this little island and said, you guys could just play. And we'll give you, like, kayaks or, or canoes, and you can just take the canoes. And go, and everybody was like playing on the beach. You know, some of them were diving off the boat. But me and Pastor Mina and Pastor Christian and Aaron, we um, we saw like the, uh, another boat in another island in the horizon, right? Like kind of off to the distance. And we're like, we're, we're gonna go there, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna. And so we just, we had like 45 minutes, and we started we started paddling. And it took a while, but we finally got there. And then the boat that was there left, and so we're like the only ones there. And then we in, we went inside this little cove. And it was like, it was beautiful. I think we'd been, been there before in one of our excursions. And it was just like all these rocks. And it was like going under the, under the, like the little, little caves and stuff. And we're like, yeah, this is so fun. And I got off my canoe and I, I dove in the water. And then me, Pastor Mina and Pastor Aaron's are like, come on, we got to go back. We have to go back. And me and Pastor Christian were like, nah, man, we have plenty of time, right? And uh, we're like, we have plenty of time. And we're all playing. And then we finally started going back. And we looked back on the beach and nobody's there. And we're like, oh, Oh man, what's going on? And what happened is everybody got off the island, went back in the boat, we're eating fruit, and then we're way off in the distance. We're trying to canoe back in time to, to make it on the boat. And then the workers actually took one of their boats and came and had to pick us up. And so, uh, but that was like the most exciting because we, you know, like we were like breaking the law, you know, like we're breaking the rules. We're going out, outside of, uh, you know, and it was really exciting, but we had a great time. Um, I got a lot, I got very tanned. But more than just having fun, I had a lot of, we had a lot of good revelations and a lot of good talks with Pastor Christian. He's our spiritual, you know, he's our spiritual mentor, he's our spiritual father. And, and, uh, and a lot of good things came from this trip, let me tell you. And you guys are going to be hearing of that in the future. And it was a, it was a real blessing for us. And uh, I, I encourage you guys, when you, if you guys, when you guys get married for your first year, have a lot of fun. I'm telling you. Because when you have kids, 
It's not going to be so hard. You know what I mean? So, you know, in your first year, have a lot of, me and Mina, we talked, we thought about it, and we had a lot of fun our first year of marriage. And we went, like, we, like, took all these trips, and, you know, we, we ran around and had a lot of fun. So I encourage you guys, when you guys get married, have fun your first year. You know, like, devote it to, to, you, to each other and um, in that time of really uh, just enjoying yourself. Uh, I've started an expository study on the book of Acts recently um, using a source by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. He's a well-known theologian and a Bible commentator. Um, and I, I'm going to start a series of sermons out of the book of Acts. And so what expository sermon is, is expository preaching basically means to take a part of Scripture and, uh, and exegete it, or to really carefully draw out the exact meaning of the content, its original context, original meaning, looking at the grammar, looking at the, the tone of the time, the historical backgrounds, and really presenting um, something that comes from the Word of God directly. Um, and expository preaching is different from topical preaching. Topical preaching is you'll take a topic like unforgiveness, and then you'll start surrounding that topic with like scriptures from the Word of God, and then you would come up with a, pre- uh, with a sermon. Uh, both types of preaching is valid. They're both uh, relevant. They're both useful. But as a preacher, we need to uh, get in the habit of doing expository sermons. Um, it keeps us rooted in the, in, the, in the Word of God. It keeps us rooted uh, in, in the basics of what scripture is. And so um, before I start my uh, study on the book of Acts, this is actually not my first sermon on the book of Acts. I, I did one at Friday Fire about a month and a half ago. Um, and, and you can go back and listen to that on our Facebook wall. Um, but this will actually be my second sermon out of the book of Acts. And before I start my sermon, I want to kind of give you a short background of, of what the book of Acts is about. Uh, the book of Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. Okay? And the author is the same author as the gospel of the book uh, the, of the gospel of Luke, which was written by John. Just kidding. It was written by Luke. Okay? Um, and he's a physician. He's, he's known as a physician. He's also a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Um, as a matter of fact, Luke starts the book of Acts in the third person. He, he talks about how, like, how they did this and, and he did this. Um, and then in chapter 16, it switches to the first person where it becomes we were on this ship and we were doing this. And so it kind of it shows that Luke actually joined Paul in his missionary journeys. Uh, the, bo- the book of Acts is considered great history. Okay? Um, it is great history. Even from a secular point of view, the book of Acts is considered sound history. Um, there are secular historians out there that consider the book of Acts a remarkable historical book. Um, when it comes to the names and the titles of the rulers at that time, like Luke got all of that right. And when you look at the, the, the tone and the flavor of each city that Paul visits and Peter visits, he gets all of those, like the little nuances, very correct. And this wasn't an easy task for Luke. Okay? Back in the days, you didn't have libraries where you can go and research things. Okay? And so, you know, you didn't have like Google, like Google Antioch and like, like you know, so for him to write a book like this, it really is an amazing and remarkable feat. And it's because it was inspired by the breath of the Lord. God inspired him to write this book. And it is, in fact, the word of the Lord. It's the history of God. Um, not only is the book sound as a historical book, but it's so much more than that in the fact that um, it's more than just a, a historical account of the early, early church. But it shows us what God had, that God has a plan for un- unfolding this history. When you read the book of Acts, you see 
God unfolding the beginning of the history of his people, okay? of, his, of his new covenant people. You see him unfolding it. And it really is an, a remarkable uh, book. There's a quote by James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce and I want to read it to you. Uh, that plan does not have to do with the rise. And he's talking about the, 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 the book of Acts and the plan that God had for the book of Acts. And he says that that plan does not have to do with the rise and fall of empires. It does not have to do with one race or people being more influential than another. The Bible does not even look at history to do primarily with individual successes or attainments. The meaning of history is God's work. God reaching down into the mass of fallen humanity and saving some hell-bent men and women, bringing them into a new fellowship, the church, and beginning to work in them in such a way that God is brought to, uh, that, that we are brought to Jesus Christ. That is what Luke is writing about as he unfolds these events. Uh, the, bu- the book of Acts reveals the plan of God for his people through the history of the church. It's God beginning to unfold his plan for his people. Uh, with that said, let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of, Lu- of Acts. Okay, open our Bibles. If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles. The first chapter of Acts, and we're going to read uh, from verse 1 to, um, we're just going to continue reading from verse 1, okay? So, it, when, if you guys are at the first chapter of Acts, let me, let me get an amen. amen. Okay. Uh, let me read it to you guys. In the first book, O Theophilus, so this is the, the person that Luke writes this book to. And the book in the Gospel of Luke, the beginning starts out with the same person that he's, he's writing this book to. is a man by the name of Theophilus. Uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptizes, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, my, my first sermon on the book of Acts came from this part of this passage where, you know, you see Jesus. When you look at the Gospels, all he talked about was the kingdom of God. You know, so many times if you read throughout the, the Gospel, you hear the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is in you. You know, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and you see Jesus teaching about this, this kingdom that is coming. And even after his resurrection, Jesus what does it say? It says, for 40 days, speak, he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And then right when they have some time, the disciples get this question ready, like, will you at this time, you know, restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay. So, so my, my point in my last sermons was that they had this, this old-fashioned mindset because throughout the ages, okay, the, the Israel people thought the Messiah was going to come and restore a political kingdom, that it was going to be like a King David. The Messiah was going to be like a political man, a King David that was going to come and bring and reestablish the, the, the kingdom of Israel. Okay? And when, the, when you see that word restore, 
Okay? When you restore something, you put back into existence something that you already knew, right? Yeah. So when you restore your hard drive, all the things that you used to have in your hard drive comes back. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's old thing kind of coming back in a way. And so that's what they were expecting when they, saw, when they were talking to Jesus. You know, when um, in the book of Matthew, James and John's mom, their, their mother, comes up to Jesus and says, well, my, you know, when your kingdom comes, will you let my son sit at one side and my other son sit at your other side? You know, it's not, she's not talking about heaven when they're all up in heaven. They're talking about, man, hook a sister up. You know, when, you, when your kingdom comes, man, can my, can my sons like, be your generals? Can my sons be up there with you in the political realm so that I can benefit from that? Even her, even the people's mindsets back then were that even the people that followed Jesus thought that he was going to be this political king okay, that was going to bring and reestablish the kingdom of God. They had this wrong mentality. And my sermon, my last sermon was about having a kingdom of God mentality. And so many times, even when Jesus is speaking to us about the things that he wants to do through us for the kingdom of God, we, have, we ask him the wrong question. We're like, well, what about me, God? Well, when would this happen for me? Is this in, in my future? You know? And um, that was what my last sermon was about. But continuing on with the text, it says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He's saying, man, it's none of your business okay, to know what I'm going to do and what I'm going to do about my kingdom. But in the meantime, I want you to do this. And this is what he tells us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, When we read the first chapter of Acts, when we read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts, we read about the, what Jesus is telling us to do. Okay, Up until now in the Gospels, a lot of what Jesus was telling us was to be. Like, be like me. Be kind. Be loving. You know, be, 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 be patient. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, like he's telling us to all these things that we should be. We should be like Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Have the heart of Christ. But as he's going up, as the, at the minute he's about to leave, he gives us a command to do. Up until now, the gospel is all about being. But he's like, you know what? It's time to do. And he gives us a mandate. He gives us a command. As Jesus is leaving the earth and going up into heaven, what does he tell us to do? So what is his mandate that Jesus gives us? The first thing that Jesus tells us to do is what? He says, wait. Everybody say, wait. Wait. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. He tells us to wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, trying to do what he's telling us to do will be impossible. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. But many theologians, they believe that it should actually be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the right, they think that it's rightfully should. Because when, when they found these, these scrolls, it wasn't like Acts of the Apostles. 
Okay, these are all, when they got canonized, these are titles that were given to these books, to these writings, by people way after. But, but a lot of theologians, they say it should be actually called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because what it is is the movement of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God to do and to begin the, the church of Jesus Christ. The church, you know, the, the universal church that was established in the first century is actually the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit actually did. Because everything that happens in all 28 chapters of this book would be in, impossible if it were not for the Holy Spirit. And in essence, accounts of what happened in the book of Acts is an account of what the Holy Spirit did. And so, and so Jesus tells us to wait. The first part of the mandate that Jesus gives us is to wait for the Holy Spirit. Not only to receive the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit Baptized by the Holy Spirit. You know, in my last sermon, I talked about, you know, getting a kingdom of God perspective. And my first point was, was very similar to my point. It was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, I'm going to take that one step further and say that it doesn't end at being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're like, what? Yeah, it doesn't end at being filled with the Holy Spirit. You get touched by the Holy Spirit. You start to shake. You fall. No, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't end there. That's great, but it doesn't end there. All that's great, but in Acts 1 tells us that there is a purpose to all that. And it's to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit because it's going to empower them. Everybody say empower. empower. Okay, let's read the first part of verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Saying, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. You'll be empowered. Mm -hmm. The word, the Greek word for this, the power is called dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. Dunamis. I love that word. Dunamis. Okay. Dunamis in the Greek is, is defined as strength, power, ability. Okay. Inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue or its nature, or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Power for performing miracles. Moral power and excellence of soul. The power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. Power and resources arising from number. Power consisting in arresting upon armies, forces, hosts. Power and mighty work. This is what dunamis is all about. Dunamis. That power. And Jesus is telling us to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because it's going to empower you. It's going to empower you to do the things that I'm telling you to do. You got to be led by that power. You're led by the Holy Spirit. But essentially you're led by that dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit we see it as this gentle dove. You know coming from heaven. A lot of us you know, in the Bible it even describes the Holy Spirit as, a, as like a wind. Flowing as like river, like a, like a brook flowing. This gentle, like very, very, you know, and it's true. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Okay? He's not going to He's not going to force you to do things. But do you know that the same Holy Spirit that is like a trickle of water is also the Holy Spirit that could be like the ocean. The power of the ocean. Like a fiery inferno. Yeah, wind can blow leaves around, but it can also knock down buildings. 
Many Christians today, they have no idea that this kind of power exists. Many churches today feel ineffective. They feel insignificant. Churches today, they feel irrelevant. Well, they are irrelevant. Why? Because they are not tapping into the power that Jesus is talking about in Acts 1. That dunamis power. He's saying, what does he tell us? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because why does he tell us this? Because it it might help us? Or because it's the the only way that we're going to be able to do what he's telling us to do. He's not saying, you know what, if you want to, go, go sit over there and check out this Holy Spirit thing, and that might help you. No, he's saying, wait. Don't do anything. Don't leave Jerusalem. Sit down and wait. Because if you don't get this, everything that's going to happen, you're not going to be able to do it. And these churches today, even I've been to many churches where me going to the church, I felt irrelevant. I felt insignificant because they're not tapping into the power, this dunamis power that Jesus told us to wait for. Yeah. It says in the word of God that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. Right. And how, does, how does, do the churches today expect to establish the kingdom of God when they don't even know about this power that the kingdom is all about? You know, at New Philly, we know about dunamis power. Amen? Anyway, there's four mission teams that are going out starting tomorrow. And I've, I've been on many mission teams. And man, we expect it. We don't like, we don't like know that it's going to, we don't like know, we don't think that it's going to happen. We expect it. Mm-hmm. We expect that dunamis power, the power of the Holy Spirit to show up when we go out and minister. We expect it. It's because, it's not because we've seen it before, but it's because it's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. It tells us to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you that if you are a Spirit-filled Christian, you have that dunamis power in you. You know that? The power of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus is in you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, wait! Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because it's going to empower you. It's the source, that dunamis power, that strength, the power, the ability. Without it, it's impossible. But with it, you guys are going to be able to do it. So let's move on. We have that dunamis power. Jesus tells us to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to empower you. Empower us to do what? And when we read, it says, the, the, wait for Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive what? Power to do what? To be my witnesses. The second part of the mandate is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. What is a witness? A witness gives evidence and testimony to what they had seen or heard. That's what kind of like the definite the definition, the dictionary definition of what a witness is. When you go to trial, say like you saw, say I saw Matt Anderson steal some cookies from from uh, a penny jump from from convenience store. I saw him, and then and then they, I get pulled into court, and then they're like, "You're a witness. Did you see Matt Anderson take those choco pies?" 
And then if I saw it, I would have to say, yes, I did. I did see him take those choco pies without paying for them. I mean, that's, that's what I give. It says a witness is, 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 gives evidence and testimony to what they have seen or heard. A witness of Christ communicates the impact and reality of Christ's life, death, and resurrection in history and in their lives. We are basically, we testify about, about the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are to be a witness of and testify to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But how? How can I be a witness of Jesus Christ? I didn't see Jesus die and resurrect. How can I be a witness of Jesus to a people who do not believe in the Bible when all I have is the Bible? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked that question? How, how am I supposed to be a witness of Jesus Christ okay, to a people that don't believe in the Bible when all I have is the Bible? Have you, have you ever asked? Who's asked that question before when, when they want evangelizing? Well, if you ask that question, you totally miss Jesus' first point. He says, wait for the power. That dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. This right here is the word of God. But apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just a book. In that same way, your testimony of Jesus Christ, your witness is just mere words without the power of the Holy Spirit. This sermon today, I'm speaking to you, is loud. It's coherent. It's just a speech. It's just a, a commentary without the power of the Holy Spirit. Did the apostles in Acts have a Bible? Did the apostles in Acts have Bible tracts that they can hand out? Believe in Jesus, Antioch. No. All they had was a testimony of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all they needed. They just needed the testimony of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. Be my witness. Testify. But wait for the Holy Spirit. That's all you need to present. That's all you need to do. You know what? Because if we try to add things to it, we'll probably mess it up. We really would. We'd probably mess it up. That's why Jesus makes it so simple. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the power comes upon you, be my witness. Testify with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a one-two process. And you know what? You can't have the two without the one. You can't expect to be a witness of Jesus Christ without first coming into the re- and recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, when I, when I came to you, brothers, this is, this is a Paul speaking. It says, when I, I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you testimonies of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, you know what? I didn't come to you. With all these lofty words. I didn't come to you with this eloquent, powerful, you know, like well-phrased words. All I came to you. And he said, I was fear. I was, I was scared with you. I was trembling with you. But all I came to you was with a, the testimony of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you feel hindered to share your faith because you feel like 
You don't know what to say. You're like, I might say the wrong thing, and this person might not believe in Jesus Christ. But you've got it twisted, because you make it sound like your words matter. (laughs) Of course you have to present Christ in a correct way. You can't be saying, like, heresies. (laughs) But like the Apostle Paul says, it's not about how eloquent your words are. But what matters is the testimony of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to be his witnesses. But not just witnesses, but spirit-filled, empowered witnesses. Let's move on. Jesus tells us to wait. That word wait, what does it imply? Did he say stay? No, he said wait. It implies action. You wait at the bus stop. Why? Because eventually you're going to get on that bus. Ain't nobody sitting at the bus stop for the sake of sitting at the bus stop. Although sometimes I felt like I was doing that. You wait so that eventually you can go into action. It's ready, set, go. Not ready, set, wait. In the same way, Jesus told us to wait, but he didn't tell us to stay. He said, wait, because that power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you are to go. My third point, and my my last point today, the third part of the, the mandate that Jesus gives us is that we need to go. We need to go. You know, there are some people that wait, and they just don't go. I've been like that before. I've waited. They never stop waiting. Like one day, I'll go, one day I'll go to Africa. One day I'll go to Africa, and I'll preach the gospel. But until that day, I'm just going to stay here and, and, and kind of do what I'm supposed to do. And later on in my life, I'll do these great things for God in the mission field. But until then, I'm just going to enjoy my life. But the mandate that Jesus gives us tells us something very important. It tells us something very key about where and when we are to go. Okay, it says, I'm going to read to you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It starts in Jerusalem. where That's where they were at. That was the ground that they were standing on. And it expands geographically outward to cover all of the earth like a ripple effect. But when some Christians read this, all they see is the end of the earth. They're like, yeah, no, I will receive power so that I could be a witness in Africa. I will, I will receive power so that I can be a witness in Zimbabwe. But then where they're sitting at, where they're standing, where God placed them right now, nothing's being done. Yeah, God may one day call you to be a witness in Afghanistan. But until that day, he's calling you to be a witness right here, right now, in your Jerusalem, to the people that are standing in front of you at Family Mart, standing in front of you at CrossFit, doing exercises, (laughs) to your kids that you're teaching, to your co-teachers that are are talking smack about you, Mm -hmm. saying, be my witness. (laughs) He's saying, be my witness now. Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem was, 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 was their home. This is where they were. It's like, this is where I'm at. It was the beginning of the church. In New Philly, we're, we, we've been called to the nations. We're called to go out, and we, you know, we, are gonna, we, we started. We, we branch out to Busan, Itaewon. You know, we're going to go out to Australia. But it doesn't mean that when we go to Australia, we neglect Seoul. Right. It's, it's not... 
they, they, we, we, we springboard from Seoul and then we just end up in Australia and all our resources and all our, all our efforts go into Australia and then, and then Jerusalem is left to just kind of, you know, do, do, do whatever it can do to survive. You know, Paul, yeah, he went all around the world for the, for the, for the sake of the gospel, but he, he never neglected his Jerusalem. And wherever he went, he made sure that the places he went were always being ministered to. He, he carried this mandate out the way that it was supposed to. He started in his Jerusalem. And he went out and to Judea. And he went out to the Samaria. And then he went out to the ends of the earth. But when he went out to the ends of the earth, he always made sure that Jerusalem was still being cared for. In that same way, we need to start from our Jerusalem. You know that? We need to start from where we are standing right now. That dunamis power, that power that the, of the Holy Spirit is for now. It's for the people that you see every day. You know that? For me, it's for the customers that come in the Sharkies. They get all drunk. I gotta be, I have to be a witness of Jesus Christ. It's for the people that you meet on the beach. It's for the people that you meet in the subway. You have to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I want to I want to close with a quote. By James Montgomery Boyce, he says that Christians today are not fully aware of how thoroughly that plan is the plan of Jesus uh, being sending the witnesses out was carried out by the first generation church. The entire pagan world acknowledged as fact the early Christian apologists claim that Christianity had permeated everywhere. Historians have asked how this first generations of Christians, who for the most part were unlearned men and women, could have propagated the gospel so rapidly. And a man by the name of Adolf Harnack, a German historian, he's not a theologian, he's a historian of the 19th century, knew how. He said, we cannot hesitate to believe that the great mission of Christianity was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That was the secret. Every Christian, not just the formal missionaries, but every Christian considered his or her obligation to bear witness. The first generation church, if you became a Christian, they took Jesus' word to heart. And every Christian had an obligation to bear witness. Brothers and sisters, the day that you become a Christian, you became something. You became a Christian. You, You became a new creation. And you received the mandate to go do something. And it was to go. It was to go be a Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ. And it's to start now. Right where you are, to the people standing in front of you. You know, it doesn't mean that you go and shovel the gospel down every person's throat that you see in the subway. But at all times and in all circumstances, you acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit to save. And you manifest a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And you live a life bearing witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that you will change your Jerusalem. I guarantee you. This land that you're standing on is going to change. And God will send you to your Judea. And God will send you to your Samaria. And he will send you to the ends of the earth. But it starts in your Jerusalem. It starts now. 
In verse 10, it says, And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And church, Jesus is coming back. You know that? And I want to ask you today, will you be found doing what he called you to do? And my final thought is this. The Greek word for witness, the word that Jesus used, is be my witness. That Greek word that was used in Acts 1 later in the midst of Christian persecution came to signify the word martyr. Because to bear witness was so correlated with being a martyr. The word actually changed. And martureo, or to bear witness, later became a synonymous with martyrdom. You know, that doesn't mean to be a witness of Christ that we have to go and get martyred. But in being a witness of Jesus Christ, a death does need to occur. We need to die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 1.24, to me is to live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul saying, I'm crucified, I'm dead. I'm crucified with Christ. And now my whole purpose in life is to live for, the, for Jesus Christ. That is how we are to be a witness. There is a death. There is a martyrdom that happens. You die to yourself. And let me tell you, when you die to yourself, it's really easy to be a witness of Jesus Christ. When you die to yourself, it happens naturally because Christ lives in you. I want us to pray. Close your eyes. And today, and I don't want to do an altar call, but I want everyone to stand up. And I want every one of us to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to give each and every one of you guys an opportunity to receive this dunamis power. To receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in you. I want you to raise your hands to heaven. And I want you guys right now to ask God for the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, come upon me. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Holy Spirit, empower me. Empower me. The power, the dunamis power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, pour it out upon me. That as I go out from this place, and in all things I do, that I could bear witness to your name. That I will do as you've commanded to do. Lord, pour out that Spirit 
I want you guys to cry it out. Speak it out with your words. I know you guys might feel uncomfortable, but speak it out with your words. Speak it out loud. Say, God, give me your Holy Spirit. God, pour out your Holy Spirit. You said that you would pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. Say, God, pour out your Spirit upon my flesh. Pour out your Spirit upon my spirit. Help me to be filled with your Spirit. Cry it out. Cry it out right now. God. Thank you, Lord. Your spirit is here. The breath of your spirit is here, God. Your spirit is here. You're filling us up, God. You're empowering us. You're equipping us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.